All right, again, good morning. Let's open our Bibles uh, this morning to uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. Let's go before the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this morning, and Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know that I take it for granted, Lord, it's been in my hands for many years, and, and even before any of us were born, it was in the hands of hundreds and thousands and millions of people on this earth. And Lord, we're so thankful for it, and we're thankful for you, Lord, that you Lord, saw us in this condition, Lord, of our sin, and you didn't just brush it off, Lord. You came on the greatest rescue mission that ever existed, Lord, that was to rescue man from his own destruction. And you saved us, Lord, from a great and horrible death, Lord, not just a physical death, but an eternal death, one that would never end. And Lord, I'm thankful this morning that I'm a child of God. And I'm thankful this morning that hopefully all of us in this room are children of God, Lord. We'll never see punishment from you ever, but rather we'll see blessing and encouragement now and even forever, Lord. And so we thank you for this time together, Lord. Open your word. You know this passage is, I know, is near and dear to your heart, Father, and Lord, be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and read the first uh, 14 verses. Uh, we'll probably just get down to verse 14 today. There's a lot here. Notice Jesus, and this was after Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, which we believe may have been, uh, may have been uh, Mount Hermon. Don't know for sure. It doesn't really matter. It was an exceedingly high mountain, and that's a pretty exceedingly high mountain. It's the biggest one in Israel. So, um, And then after this, Jesus and his disciples came down into the valley, and they found their way back to Capernaum, which is on the western shore of the Galilee, where Peter lived, and Jesus lived with Peter and his wife and and her mother-in-law, or his mother-in-law, excuse me, And then uh, notice in verse 18, after these things, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What an interesting question to ask. Takes a lot of chutzpah to ask that question, because the answer should be obvious. (laughs) Who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, the king of heaven, Jesus. He's the greatest. But Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them, a little child. And we're not talking a teenager here. We're talking a very young person, an infant up to maybe five or six years old, a very young person, okay? So Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say unto you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Amazing statement for Jesus to say, wouldn't you agree? To receive a child is to receive him because he puts such a great value on children and childlikeness. 
Something God is wanting to work into us as well. But he goes on in verse 6, and, and this is where it's going to get a little dicey for us today in the message. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life maim or lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish." And so we see in this passage that we're referring to up to verse 14 that Jesus really is speaking of little children and the importance of little children and his emphasis and his love for small people, small, small children. And it ought not to surprise us. We call him our Father in heaven. He's all of our Father, isn't he? He's all of, every one of us in this room, regardless of your age, we call him Father, Abba. We sang it this morning. He's our dad. He's our heavenly father. And as a heavenly father, he knows exactly what he's doing, and he treats us with such love and tenderness and respect, as any one of us should treat one another, correct? Regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of our sin issues that we all come in here with, it doesn't matter. We need to love each other. Be honest and truthful with one another, certainly, and Jesus is. God is. He's very truthful with us, and he's truthful enough, and he will tell us things that might even hurt us, that might challenge us, and it's meant to. The truth does challenge the heart. If, in fact, if you're not challenged in your heart when you leave here today, there's something wrong, and pray for the pastor, <laughs> Because as we open the Word of God and as we consider these things, God's wanting to change us. He's conforming us to His image, not to any other image, not to any other person, but one, Jesus Christ, right? That's why we're here. We love Him because He first loved us. And while we were yet sinners, He died for us. Is there anybody that you know would do that? Two weeks ago, we looked at the characteristics of children that the Lord would have us model as believers in Christ, and we looked at some of this, and we know that children are such that they tell the truth. 
They're, they're not exercised in social graces yet. They don't really know how to tell. I mean, they, they do lie, don't get me wrong. They learn how to lie very early, but when, when there's a certain age of a child where you ask them a question and they'll just tell you the truth. They're not even aware of how to be uh, crafty. They're, they're, they're not schooled and they haven't grown enough to understand the art of deception that we have all mastered. Has anybody mastered the art of deception? At one point, we were all deceivers. Hopefully not anymore. But we were on our way to being able to teach a graduate course at Yale on deception. But children, they just tell the truth. They, they don't understand. They, they'll, they'll just speak the truth. They'll, whatever's on their mind, they'll just say, and it's, it can be embarrassing sometimes because they'll tell the truth when they probably should just remain quiet. And you remember the story that I shared with you last week. But another, another thing with children is that they are humble. They have no estimation of themselves at all. They don't look at themselves. They're not even aware of who they are and what they're going to be. And so they have no way of knowing their value or worth in a culture, in a society. They don't even know what that is yet. They're just slowly figuring these things out. But they're humble. There's no guile in them. And they'll confide in you over anything. They'll just tell you everything that's on their mind, on their hearts. They'll confide in you. And we too, we ought to confide in the Lord. These are attributes of children that God wants to work in us by his spirit. And another thing is children will believe and they trust. It's almost like automatic. They have no concept of why somebody would try to beguile them or to harm them in any way. They just believe what an, an, an adult tells them very easily. A young child will do that. You tell them something and they'll believe you because you're an adult and you're an authority. And they look up to you and that's the way God intended it to be, right? They ought to be able to look to any one of us and ask questions and we ought to be, have the heart to tell them the truth and not to lie to them and certainly not deceive them and certainly not to beguile them in any way. And we are to trust God just like little children will trust anybody automatically, we are to, to trust as well, but it's not something that we just automatically do. As we get older, we realize that trust is something that is earned. And Christ has earned our trust. He's always been faithful to us. He's never done wrong to us. Have we gone through difficult spats in our life? Yes. And were they worked out for the good of us? Absolutely. And I don't get that, but God knows what I need. And sometimes I just need a spanking. <laughs> Sometimes I need to be sent to my room. Sometimes I need to be rebuked. Sometimes I need to hear that hard word that'll break my heart. And only God is willing to share that. While other people might not be willing, but he loves me enough to tell me the truth. But trust is something that's earned, right? Children will trust anybody. But as we get older, we realize trust is something that's earned. And I'll be honest with you, I don't trust anybody. And I don't think we're supposed to trust anybody. I trust God. What does the Bible tell us? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I trust God. In Psalm 118, it says this, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Are you putting your confidence in man or are you putting your confidence in the Lord? It is better to trust in the Lord 
than to put confidence in princes and to those of stature. But Proverbs warns us, the Solomon warns us in Proverbs 29, 25, he says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. I love that. Trust in the Lord. Don't automatically trust man, but we can trust in God. And that's the kind of thing that the Lord wants us to do. And also one of the things is kids are affectionate. Little children will gladly run up into the lap of their father, their mother, their grandfather. In fact, I remember one time when I was little, my grandmother had a surgery, and I remember just a little guy, and this is up in Northport, Michigan. She was sitting there in her chair. I can see it like it was yesterday. And I was just a little guy, a little tyke. I could barely walk, you know, but I, but I, I just learned how to walk, and I could, you know, starting to run. And I would just run and jump up into Grandma's arms, and I didn't realize that Grandma just had surgery. And she was so glad for me to jump in her arms, but she did wince. But she was so glad she put her arms around me. Little kids are affectionate. We ought to be too. We ought to be able to run into the arms of our father and speak to him. The deepest, the deep things, the dark things, the hard things, and confess everything, right? And they live by faith. They have no concept that they're not going to have food the next day or not clothing. They, they have faith, and, and so ought we to trust in God. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And all of these things he would give to us, right? If we just seek the kingdom of God and all these other things, food and shelter and clothing, all the, has anybody gone without food or shelter or clothing? I mean, for any length of time. I mean, you may have a, been in a really difficult spot, but for the most part, none of us are starving here. And everyone's clothed and everyone has a place to stay. But because of their innocence and their dependency, God places a great deal of his heart and his attention on children. And he warns caregivers, as we're going to look at in this chapter. And he warns the caregivers and those in their sphere of influence. And God warns anyone who would hurt a child to sin against them, to stumble them in any way. We'll find this out in the next chapter when we get to it. Uh, But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? In other words, the kingdom of heaven is for children, whether in stature or in like-mindedness. It doesn't really matter whether you're a child physically or whether you have a child-likeness, which God wants to work in us, even as believers. And children are not perfect, but they're innocent. There's a big difference. Perfection only belongs to God, but innocence is something that children have. And it is entirely possible to be born a sinner and yet be innocent at that age. But that innocence can be lost, either by willful actions or actions that are done to them, examples that weren't good toward them, and now they find themselves not having a good role model, and now they are being defiled and being led down up an, an area where God doesn't want them to go. So there is a great deal of responsibility for us as parents, as grandparents, and even if you're single with the young children around you, either in this fellowship or in other places in, your, in society. Now I want to warn you ahead of time. Verses 6 through 9 that I'm going to go through I believe that what I'm going to say to you is true, and so I'm going to say it. 
And it may offend some. But it is relevant to what is happening in our country, in our world, right now. It's very relevant. It's the elephant in the room. And I'm not afraid to address that elephant this morning. And it may offend some of you. And I don't mean it to. But I'm going to tell you the truth. And I believe it is the truth. Let's look at verse 6. Jesus says, But whoever causes one of these little ones to, who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were drowned in the depths of the sea. This word causes is the Greek word skandalizo, and it's where we get our English word scandal. And really what it means is to cause, uh, and that word literally means to entrap or to stumble, to entice to sin, literally to offend as well. It's also used as an, an animal trap. Have you ever seen those things, an animal trap? where there is a, uh, some kind of box or a large stone, and then there's a, a stick that's holding it up. And that piece of stick is called the scandalon. It's the thing that is trapped to snare its victim. That's the word that Jesus is using here. And sinning against a child, sinning against anyone is especially bad, but sinning against a child is an especially grievous matter that God takes very seriously. To entrap, to stumble, to teach them sinful things, teaching them bad habits is adding greater judgment upon the offender. And sinning against a person, like I said, is bad enough, but against a child, it carries a greater weight of judgment. And because of the wickedness of our culture, I and perhaps you as well automatically think when we read a passage like we just read, just verse 6 alone, I immediately think about what is happening right now, and, and I, it's all on your mind right now, and it's child sex trafficking. It's happening. But let me suggest to you that even though teaching them to cheat the system, to teach a child how to cheat, and if they see you cheating on your taxes as they grow older, you're teaching them something. And, um, or, or maybe you're a parent who winks or condones at their teenage son or daughter engaging in premarital sexual activity. You are putting a stumbling block in front of them. You need to be their parent, not their dismissive friend. And they're permissive, friend, permitting anything. No, we need to be parents. We need to teach them the truth. And our mandate, as it tells us in Ephesians 6.4, is to bring them up, what? In the nurture, in the training, in the admonition of the Lord. I remember in 1990, I went on a European trip with a college group. It was a college credit, and we seen we went to everywhere you could think of, every cathedral, every capital city in Europe. I mean, we literally went everywhere. It was a month-long tour, and I remember being in uh, at the Vatican in the Vatican City in 1990. And I remember seeing in Europe they have what they call our gypsies. These are moms and dads who make their lives on thieving. They're excellent. They're expert pickpockets. They're expert. They're very good at it. And I remember being in the, uh, on the right side of the, of the, of the, um, 
the Vatican. There's a road off to the side. I forget the name of the road. But I was walking down there in broad daylight, and I had like 10 gypsies surround me. I was by myself, which was not very smart. And they all surrounded me, and they were grabbing everything they could. They were trying to get my camera, my body safe, everything. And little kids, the mothers, I don't know where the men were, but the, the mother and uh, you know, a handful of mothers and little kids, they're all just grabbing everything. And they taught them. They, they've been teaching them to thief. That's how they make a living. But yes, teach your kids morals. They're in the Bible. They are good things, right? It's good. God put them there because he knows it's how we need to live and how we need to treat one another. Isn't that what the golden rule is all about in Matthew 7, verse 12? Therefore, whatever you want a man to do to you, you do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. I remember one of the memories that I regret the most is my grandpa Kellogg. Remember one day we were driving along the highway and there was a young lady, very young, and he's, you know, 70-some years old, older man, and I was a young teenager, probably 13, 12 or 13. Young lady was jogging along, attractive young gal, and of course as a young male, unsaved, you know, I, I was thinking it, but my grandfather said, hey, look, you know, and he, he shared some things with me and I'm just like, And at the time, it didn't mean anything to me. But as I got older, I realized, oh my goodness, Grandpa. I know he was trying to break the ice with me and somehow feel kind of like, you know, that didn't help me. Yes, I was already thinking it. I was already looking. But I didn't need to hear that from him. It would have been better for him to not say anything and I could hold his position, his authority as a father figure up higher, but instead it got brought down low. But there's great responsibility and accountability in raising children in our conduct. And we can't force kids to hear us. We can't force them to listen to us. But we must be willing to speak the truth to them and be examples before them in all things. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6.20 told his hearers in Ephesus that he was an ambassador in chains. And none of us are in chains this morning, but nonetheless, we have an ambassadorship. And we need to be ambassadors and examples living lives above reproach honoring Jesus Christ in all of our ways, and especially while they're young and growing physically and spiritually. We need to be watchful. We need to be watchmen on the wall for them. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3. We're just going to look at the first, actually, verses 17 through 19. But I want you to see it yourself, because this is an important verse in many contexts, honestly. But here's one. Ezekiel chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. God says to Ezekiel, Son of man, verse 17, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, God says, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand, yet 
If you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your own soul. So our role in the lives of children are great, because we are to tell them the truth. We are to be the watchman on the wall. We need to be a voice for the voiceless, a voice for those who can't speak up who don't have all the facts together. You and I, as adults, we, have, we understand what's happening in our culture. We, we understand the bigger picture. We need to be the watchman on the wall, more so today than ever before in our history. In Proverbs 22, verse 5, it says, Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. But he who guards his soul will be far from them. And here's the exhortation. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. And I love what Romans says. And this is a warning. And again, these verses, 6 through 9, are going to be a little sore for some of you, okay? But the end of the service, is going to, there's going to be a... Uh, more comfort, okay? But this first part is not going to be very comfortable at all. For the wages of sin is what? It's death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is not God's will that any should, pro that any should, should die, but, but he's, um, he's, God is patient toward us, it says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. And that includes being examples for kids, for each other, to be a uh, a witness not only to the unbeliever, but also to the believer. Let's lift each other up. Let's raise the bar from the gutter that is so easy to come upon the church because we have this ability to bring things down to our, our level and we got to keep it way high, folks. We're the church bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We can't afford to let our guard down. Not now, not ever, but especially not now. Keep our guard lifted high in grace and in love. There's the proviso. <laughs> it's easy to scream and whip people, but that's not what God is talking about. You can love somebody and tell them the truth. In fact, you're loving them when you are telling them the truth, even if it's something they don't want to hear. Even if you know it's going to harm them a little bit. If your heart is right, they will know that your heart is right. But if you come at them just to, you know, mm, then they're going to know that too. And you deserve what you got coming to you. Right? But God would have us to live forever with him and not experience eternal torment. Choose life. In the context of children, I'm going to say choose life. And yes, I'm talking about abortion as well. Choose life. Choose to give children life. Give them every opportunity to thrive in life. Yes, get them out of the womb first. Pray for them. Be the example for them. Give them life. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is another verse that you ought to know really well or, uh, or, or earmark it because it's one you will reference time and time again. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 15. Let me just read it to you. God speaking to the children of Israel before they would cross over into the promised land. He says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, 
and his judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Notice the heart of God. It's always to bless, to give life, to bless. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. Now here it is, verse 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Underline that verse if you don't. Put a big circle around it and underline it. Put a star and arrows pointing toward it. Choose life. And I mean that in every sense of the term. Choose life. And why? He gives us the answer that both you and your descendants may live. Literally live in the physical and then live in the eternal. Choose life life rather than death. And this is one of those verses we use to show that God indeed is pro-life. God is pro-life. He is not pro-choice. How can you call yourself a Christian and then be okay with abortion? You shouldn't. Now, I know, let me just share a proviso here, a caveat. There are some in this room who have had one. Maybe many, but I want to tell you this morning, if you're a believer, God has forgiven you, and that, that, that act is past. He, he'll never look upon it again if you put it under the blood. Please understand that, because there's a lot of hurting women. I'm not here to hurt women. Far from it. Just the opposite, actually. I want to, hopefully, though, it'll set you free. So you don't need to feel guilty about your past sins, because a sin is a sin. But if you're here today and you're like, well, I'm a Christian and I'm pro-choice, I'm going to be like, it's not compatible. Because you are blatantly disregarding the word of God. You cannot do that and call yourself a Christian. I don't care what you say, how much money you give to the church, or who you know. It doesn't matter. You are in direct contradiction to Almighty God, and you need to change your ways. If you're going to call yourself a Christian. Because Christ is pro-life. Amen? Also, the commandment says, thou shalt not murder. What is abortion but murder? And I love what Paul tells Timothy. He says, let no man, let no one despise your youth, but be an example. Here it is. The word example is the Greek word typos, like a type. It's someone to be imitated. So let no one despise your youth, but be an example, be a typos to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, and certainly to the unbeliever as well. Teach your kids and your grandkids the biblical truths. Teach them about Christ. Teach them morals. Be an example to them. And who cares what anybody thinks about you for doing it? Who cares what anyone may say? You teach them life. Amen? It's what we get, it's our great mandate from God. Teach them life. 
give them life. Give them every opportunity to come to Christ and experience life. But notice in verse 6, Jesus says, it would be better for those who cause one of these little ones to me to sin, it would be better for him for a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, a millstone like this one in Capernaum, there's a bottom part and there's a top part. And the top part is usually what they would, uh, a person would, would flip it up on its end and they would be attached to it. And either a person or a donkey would use that several hundred pound cement rolling piston, whatever you want to call it, to, to crush out grain or grapes. And it's several hundred pounds, just that one on top. And that's the one I believe Jesus is referring to. It'd be better for you, instead of, you know, if you're going to harm a child, it would be better for you to tie that top part. And I've seen this one personally at Capernaum. And that top part, you can barely budge. It's very, very heavy. But imagine tying that around your neck and throwing you and it overboard in the Marianas Trench. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's how serious he believes. And that's exactly what he's saying. Anybody here see The Sound of Freedom? The movie? Yeah. And, and it's been kind of, uh, we've known it's been happening for a long time, but that movie just kind of blew it right out of the sky, right? Blew, opened it right up again. But think of, think of this kind of thing happening with the sex trafficking of children and in the passage we're in right now, in the culture that we're in right now. This kind of thing happening in our world, in our culture, is front and center with what Jesus is talking to us about in this passage. And those who are kidnapping uh, young girls and boys and putting them into sex slavery need to repent as soon as possible. As soon as possible. If they do not repent, they will face the terror and the judgment of Almighty God, and it will not be a good day, folks. They will suffer an eternal judgment if they do not repent. And many of these kids are being forced into this illicit sex trade, sometimes 30 to 50 times per day, making their handlers very, very wealthy. Even women involved in this business, uh, which is incredibly shocking because for the vast majority of women, they have a mother's instinct. They have a, a mother's nurturing heart. That's what I love about women. It's one of the differences between men and women. Women have this wonderful heart for kids to nurture and to love. It's, it's unlike any other thing in the world. And thank God for women. Hallelujah. Seriously, to all you moms, hats off to you. What an amazing thing you are and what you've done and what you're doing. But there are women even involved in this thing, which blows my mind. But this ought not to surprise us because what does 2 Timothy tell us? Know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and yes, without natural affection. A woman has a natural affection to her children, so does a father, but even more so a woman. That bond between a mother and a child, the one who came from her, is so intense. You better get out of the way if you get in the way of, her, of, her, of, of their child. Mama bear will come after you and tear you to shreds. And hallelujah for that too. I know I'm intense this morning. It's a, very, it's a passionate thing for me. But I believe that what we're talking about in this passage is exactly what, it's the elephant in the room. 
and it needs to be addressed. We need to speak of it, even though it's hard to hear. But much of this stuff is happening right here in the United States, a multi-billion dollar industry. But concerning offending children, I think of those in the LGBTQ plus community. Oh my God, is he mentioning that? Yes, I am. They don't understand the judgment they are bringing upon themselves, against themselves, by indoctrinating and performing sexually explicit drag shows in front of kids. If adults want to do this twisted, perverse thing, then they can do that, but don't get in the way of the kids. Leave the kids out of it. Stay away from the kids. In fact, in June, in New York City, I've got the video of this. I'm not going to play it because some of these people are naked. But there was a drag parade in New York City in June, and they quoted, chanting this, and I'm going to quote them directly. And I've heard this, and I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm telling you the truth. They said, we're here We're queer, we're coming for your children. That's the truth, folks. And that hurts. It's hard to hear. But there are those in the medical community who don't even don't know the judgment that they are bringing upon themselves by willfully supporting and performing these uh, sex change surgery on minors, not even caring what the parents think somehow believing arrogantly that they are untouchable from the law, but they're going to be held accountable by God. Doctors, pediatricians, school counselors, teachers, superintendents, principals of schools, they don't know the judgment they are bringing on themselves by allowing and encouraging children who feel they may be a member of the opposite sex to take puberty blockers and other hormonal injections without the knowledge of their parents. It's happening. They don't know the judgment that they are bringing against themselves by aiding and abetting minors and aberrant sexual behavior and removing every form of common common sense decency from their sphere of influence, removing the Word of God, removing the Bible, any references to the Bible, and exchanging it for their radical Marxist agenda. And folks, that is truth, and that's happening right now, front and center in our community. And I'm just going to say it like it is, because it's truth. And then to make matters worse, they continue teaching the theory of evolution, which is not a good theory at all. It doesn't even stand up to the laws of um, scientific method. It doesn't. And yet they spend millions and billions of your tax dollars indoctrinating kids. All of us have been indoctrinated, and thank God we came out of it and got saved. But there are many, many hundreds of thousands and millions more kids who are being brainwashed in a lie, and they are being told this stuff. Woe to them. If they do not repent, they will face the severity of Almighty God. They've stumbled and hardened millions of children in this country. And many authorities in the lives of these kids have taught them the ways of hell. And, they've, and these children, unfortunately, they don't know any better because they believe the adult. They believe the authority. They believe the principal. They believe the teacher. They believe the highest office in the land. They believe, and so therefore they grab a hold of it and they embrace it and they become indoctrinated and then they continue to propagate that indoctrination. It is a religion, make no mistake, and that is being promoted in the public schools. And the devil is laughing. This is what Jesus is talking about. If you offend any one of these kids, it would be better 
for them if a millstone were hung about their neck and they were drowned in the midst of the sea. I've got videos of mothers going toe-to-toe with school board members concerning their kids. Mama bear is not happy. I also have videos of fathers taking some of these school board members to, ta- to tax over homosexual pornographic books that are readily available on reading lists for kids to read. And some of the stuff, if I were to show them here, I couldn't even show them to you. I wouldn't show them to you. And these things are so evil that when they start to read them in front of the school board at school board meetings, the school board shuts them down and says, we can't hear any more of this. We don't want to hear any more of this hypocrites. Am I mad? Yes. I am. And I don't think God is happy either. Does he love the people? Yes, he does. Does he like what they're doing? No. And is he going to hold them accountable? Yes. If they don't repent, they are going to go through some pretty bad stuff. And now these parents are labeled domestic terrorists because they're speaking out about their children. Don't worry, it's going to get better, folks, okay? Just hang in there. Because we got verses 9 through, and we're, we're coming upon it. But all the way up, uh, you know, shame on them. <laughs> shame on these people. Turn from what you're doing. For those who are involved in this, who may be listening to this, turn from what you're doing and spare yourself the judgment of Almighty God. Jesus warns of the severity of the judgment Should you continue these crimes against children, it would be better for them if a millstone were tied around their neck and they were drowned in the depths of the sea. They need to repent. That's all I got to say about that. Verse 7, woe to the world because of offenses, Jesus says. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. There will be an accounting for those who who offend And Jesus said a very similar thing in the upper room when he was talking about Judas. He said, the Son of Man goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better, it would have been good for that man if he had not even been born. It's a similar kind of concept. Verse 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and... uh, uh, It is better for you to enter life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. In Mark's gospel, in the parallel account of this, it says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Yes, Jesus is quoting here from the very last verse of Isaiah's book. The very last verse has this thing in here. Notice that it's everlasting fire. It's not, you know, it's not that hell is not real. Aren't you glad you came this morning to hear about hell? And judgment, <laughs> we got to talk about it. Many people think hell's not real, but it, it is. It's very real. Who are you going to believe? Jesus spoke of hell more than anybody else. Are you going to believe him, or are you going to believe Rob Bell, who's the pastor in a church in Granville, Michigan, Mars Hill Church? Are you going to believe him? Hell doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. No, it exists. How can you read the Bible and not tell me that hell doesn't exist? Verse 9, And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Jesus, of course, here is not proposing that you start mutilating yourself, folks. There have been people who have done that. They've had a problem with stealing or whatever, and they would just chop off their hand. But, the, the, but this stuff is still in the heart. Sin is in the heart. 
The hands and the feet are just the vehicles to carry out whatever's already in the heart, right? And Jesus has been talking about this through the Gospels, hasn't he? Especially this one, that it's really more internal. What's going on inside? The externals, aren't, they're a problem, but it's really what's within. Because what's from within, that's what's causing these things to happen. So what does this mean when he speaks like this? It means that we should take sin that seriously. That if for some reason, cutting off our hands or our feet, if it was able to keep us from sinning and keep us out of hell, then it would be worth doing. That's how serious sin is. That's how serious we need to take it. We can't play with it. Like that child who, you know, you tell your, the parents tell the son or the daughter, now don't touch the glowing circle on the stove. And a child will get right up next to it and wait for the mom to look away and... That's the way we are. (laughs) We need to listen. And if your eye causes you to sin, notice, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. And yes, the word there is Gehenna. That's the ultimate place of the wicked dead at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ when Jesus talks about it in Revelation 20. He talks about a lake of fire. It's called Gehenna. It's the eternal punishment. When people die now, they go to hell. If, if, they, if they're an unbeliever, they go to Hades. Their soul goes to Hades. But Jesus said he's going to resurrect them at the last day. They'll receive a new body and then be cast into outer darkness in Gehenna where there will be fire and torment forever. It's not easy to say and it's not easy to hear. But nonetheless, it is true. And we can't take the teeth out of the gospel. Let's look at verse 10. This is where our message turns. We've got five minutes left, and I'm going to try to get through this. Much nicer ground now. <laughs> Take heed that you do not despise or disesteem or think little of one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. You know, the, the Lord loves children, and he's very serious about it. The, this idea of guardian angels are, is true, and it, and it is biblical. Speaking to these guardian angels or ministering spirits, it tells us in Hebrews, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the, for those who will inherit salvation? And um, I, I, do, I believe that there are angels that God has assigned to each one of us for this reason. And I think my angel was working, getting time and a half from God, keeping me alive when I was a teenager, running around on Pine Island, Florida, when I was a young teenager, swimming in alligator and shark-infested waters. How many times was my guardian angel satisfying the stomach of an alligator, saying, stay away from Kellogg, i got a plan for him later. Yes, he's an idiot, but... Daniel knew that when he was in the lion's den. The Lord shut the lion's mouth. I think the Lord shut a lot of gators and sharks' mouth on my behalf. 
For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. That which was lost was all of us, wasn't it? All of us were lost. From the beginning of in the garden with Adam and Eve up until the current time, the sin of Adam, the sin nature has been propagated through us. We don't have time to go there, but I would encourage you to look at um, uh, John or Romans chapter 5, uh, verses 12 through 14. It basically says that very same thing, that we inherited that sin nature from our parents, Adam, going all the way back. And what do you think, Jesus says, verse 12, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the other ninety-nine that did not go astray. And it's true, he does. I'd like to share with you just a, a really short video that kind of, it's, it's, it's very short, and then we'll get to the last verse here. That little sheep is you and I. That little sheep is a child. And the shepherd we know is Jesus. And this sheep is lost. Out in the desert. Separated from its flock. A lost soul is helpless. And therefore, the only hope that a lost soul has to live if its shepherd will seek it out, find it, and rescue it. Hear the sound of the shepherd? and to see that happening. But see, that's you and I. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and yet Christ has come after us to, to rescue us. And just as that little sheep, and that's what Jesus is referring to here when he's speaking about little children. He says in the very last verse, even so, verse 14, so it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish, but he goes after them, and especially the little ones, especially the ones that don't have a voice. 
And see, folks, that's what you and I, we have a voice. And we have a responsibility with kids. All of those around us in our sphere of influence. And I want to encourage you because all of us are sheep. We are that wayward sheep at one point and God came and rescued us. And there are many younger little ones that are like sheep that are being led astray. This is what this passage is about. And not only is it not his will that any of these should perish, but we are also secure once we come to him. John, in his gospel, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Meaning, once you are in the fold of Christ, once you are born again, once you are saved, you belong to him, and you will never perish. Meaning, you'll never see everlasting torment. You may die physically in this body if the Lord doesn't rapture us before then. You may die physically, but you'll never perish eternally, because you'll always be in the presence of God when you pass from the scene. And I love what it says here, just the assurance of salvation. And some of you need to hear this this morning because you're right on the ragged edge of thinking that, you know, I've done too many bad things. God can't forgive me. Well, I got news for you. Not only will he forgive you, he does if you call upon his name. And once you are his, he is not going to let you out of his hand. If God is almighty, he has the ability to hold you. And what does it say here? He says, and I give them eternal life. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one, no one, or anything or anyone, no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I love in Psalm 95, it says this, O come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Literally, under His care is what it means. We are the sheep under His care. Today, if you will hear His voice. So, how about it? Today, have you heard His voice? Are you one of His? Do you want to be one of Jesus' sheep? Do you want to be in his fold or are you content being in the fold of the world? I would encourage you today to really pray about that. And I would encourage you today to give your heart to Christ. If there's anyone here who has not made that business, done that business with their soul with God, today's a really great day to do it. Why? Because he loves you. We are his sheep. Will you give your heart to Christ? And I want to encourage you, you can do that in the privacy of your own heart even right now, but I would encourage you that after the service, if you want somebody to pray with you, grab somebody next to you and say, lead me to Christ. I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. I'm lost. And I have no idea what's happening, where I'm going, how to be, what to do. Will you lead me to Christ? And you lead them to Christ. Confess your sin. Confess your sin and receive Christ. It's that simple. Come into an agreement, an acknowledgement with him that you are a sinner by nature. And you confess your sins. And then he, what is the promise in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, 9, and 10? 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants you, my friend, to enter into the fold today. He wants you to enter in. No greater thing. He's gone. He's, the 99 are all happy and they're together, but he's gone after you today. You know who you are. Would you come up after the service or speak to somebody? I'd love to pray with you if you'd like to receive Christ. Be the greatest joy of my life. But it's time. It's time. So let's be those examples. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this passage. Lord, it hasn't been an easy one. It hasn't been easy for me. Lord, especially those verses 6 through 9, Lord, tore my heart out. But Lord, you love. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, that you would encourage them, that you'd strengthen their faith, and that they along with myself, Lord, we would take these things and in, in, in seriously and that we would just rededicate our hearts even afresh to you and for hopefully any here that have not done that, today would be the day that they would cross over from death unto life. So Lord, we thank you and praise you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.